name is Shandy Chernow and you're listening to the Shandyland podcast. I am very excited today as we have a super duper star expert in all things marketing, branding, and digital strategy, as well as pizza and hamburgers, but not geometry as we have established something we have in common. I have Rev Ciencio, who is the head of revenue marketing for Branded Strategic Ventures and the co-founder and CMO of Handcraft Burgers and Brew. Rev, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. How did I do intro-wise? Did I get everything right? Amazing. And I'm super grateful to be here. So thank you. And I love that you brought the geometry thing (laughs) (laughs) behind the scenes. We both failed. We failed miserably and struggled through geometry classes. (laughs) Yes. All the geometry struggle bus people out there. It's okay. You're going to be fine. We'll use that hashtag on this, on this episode. Yeah. You never have to prove anything again for the rest of your life and you'll be okay. (laughs) You've got something I want to start at the very beginning with. You've got something super exciting coming up, and I want you to tell us all about it. You are correct. I have White Castle for dinner. Oh, wait, that's not <laughs> But I do have White Castle for dinner. Uh, my lovely wife today was like, I'm going to pick a White Castle on the way home. Do you want it? Like, yes, absolutely. Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> I'm hosting the second annual Branded Restaurant Marketing Summit. It's uh, January 25th and 26th of 2023. It's free. It's virtual. It's online, so you don't have to leave your house or your office or your car or your box or wherever it is that you consume content. It's 100% free. Register online at restaurantsgrow.com slash summit. We have 32 literally incredible speakers and presenters who are going to walk through tips, uh, tricks, and tactics on everything that you need to do to master your restaurant marketing in 2023 beyond. Sounds like I rehearsed that, didn't I? Um, Sounds like you might have said it once or twice in the past. I have, for sure. And like I said, it's the second annual. But, you know, in 20, we did the first one. It's funny because we're recording this in December to say this year when it was last year. I don't know. But anyway, January 2022 is the first one. We had 1,300 people register. We had 150 VIPs who got all access passes. I think they consumed something like 7,000 hours worth of content. Wow. So it's pretty good. We have eight more speakers this year than last year. We have some incredible speakers. They're going to talk on you know, social media, loyalty, uh, reputation management, search marketing, and it's literally for every type of restaurant. It doesn't matter if you're an enterprise brand with thousands and thousands of locations or you're a single unit operator, maybe you're a pizza shop owner, or like me, a hamburger shop owner. There is something for everybody. And whether you're the person that does your marketing or you manage the person that does marketing, or you instruct people to do marketing for you, I guarantee you will walk away with something that you can action that day. That is amazing. And the fact that it's free is so cool. I mean, restaurants have been on such a, oh, what's the word I want to use, like a struggly streak through the pandemic stuff. And everybody needs that assistance. So that's really amazing for you to do that for them. Thank you. I mean, I don't want to, you know, give myself the big pat on the back with the following statement, but it cost me about eight to ten thousand dollars to put this thing on. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally worth it. Like the amount that people get out of attending it. I mean, I I interviewed one of our uh, pre- presenters today, a guy by the name of Matt Platt, who owns America's Best Restaurants, and I learned something. Like in interviewing him for his content that people can can watch in the in the presentation and the summit. I was like, oh man, I never even thought of that. Like, I'm a marketer. Like, so there would definitely be things you can walk away no matter what type of restaurant organization you are. That's awesome. And the dates again, January 25th and 26th. Yep. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's all online. None of, there's a couple of live scenarios that you don't want to miss, but essentially the way it works is you can log in anytime the 25th and anytime the 26th and almost everything's pre-recorded, and you can watch them in any order you want. 
Very right. Cool. So if you're really, uh, there's a couple of things that don't appeal to you. Like you don't have to watch those. And if you're watching one and, uh, your kid falls off the couch and you got to pause, you just go take care of it. Or, you know, if you want to, you know, pause for a phone call, come back, but you know, and then there is, you know, if you want, you can upgrade, uh, for 97 bucks, you get access to all of the content for an additional 90 days. So if you really, really want to be able to like, make sure you watch all of it and go back and there'll be, you know, you can get for 97 bucks. There's also some additional training you get immediately with the VIP access. Um, Something to show you how to manage all your reviews online. There's a thing about growing rich. That's some pretty heady stuff there. Uh, And a thing called the social media order igniter that'll teach you how to organize, uh, how to create 30 pieces of content for your social media, for your restaurant in 10 minutes. So good stuff. It's real powerful stuff. That's great. So you do marketing for hospitality, but you also do marketing for tech. That's right. Tech, right. Yes. I, a, I, I live a dual life. <laughs> so is the, therein lies my question. Is there a big difference between the focus on the marketing, the focus that the marketing that the hospitality folks should do and the focus that the tech folks should do? Um, well, it's essentially kind of all demand generation. Like a restaurant would never say we need to do demand gen. But like new guest acquisition and guest retention is literally demand generation and funnel marketing, right? It's the same. You know, there's different tactics and tools and, and you know, things you would say if you're trying to attract somebody to eat French fries at a restaurant versus somebody to buy software. But like, it's kind of the same-ish, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's demand generation. But what makes it interesting for me is I'm like highly tech. I'm a tech evangelist. I believe in tech that makes, you know, your business go faster, work smarter, make things easier. So mm-hmm. like... I've been representing tech for years that helped restaurants. And so then when I started this consulting agency, I actually thought I was going to be consulting to all tech companies trying to help them do demand gen. Uh, And what ended up happening was I was putting all all this content where I was telling restaurants like, you know, how to acquire and retain more guests. Restaurants started to call me and like, dude, can you help us with our marketing? Well, yeah, I guess I can. (laughs) So I now have two types of clients. I'm helping some tech companies sell to my other client, which are restaurants. It's funny how the world kind of tells you what you're going to do, isn't it? You think you're going to do one thing and no, that's not it. No, that's happened a couple of times now. So <laughs> so what do tech companies and marketing companies, like what's the, uh, not marketing, hospitality companies, what's the one biggest, hugest marketing mistake that they make? Man, that is a good question. Um, and I'm trying to think about it across a gradient. And you know what I would say? Be consistent. So I don't care what type of marketing you do or which channel you're doing it in, even if you have limited bandwidth and you can only have the ability to market in one channel, which by the way is a mistake, you need to be in four or five. But if you can only manage one channel, the mistake I see the most is a lack of consistency. Like if you're if you're in a restaurant and you pick Instagram as your channel, show up four or five times a week, right? And not four or five times on a Monday. Show me Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, like be consistent. And if you're, you know, if you're a SaaS platform, you're a tech company who is marketing to restaurants and LinkedIn is the channel you're going to manage. I want to see content three days a week. You know what I mean? Be like, be consistent because over time, it doesn't matter if the content is amazing. You should always try to put the best content out there. Right. Okay, and content not in front of people. But, you know, he or she who shows up the most wins. Yeah. So interesting. Consistency. So on the yeah, channel, I, mean, I, I could I could t- I could say ten other things, but that's probably oh, like sure. e- to me like that's the easiest hurdle to overcome because, man, I think content creation is easy. 
You know, I posted something this morning on LinkedIn that like I was walking around the house yesterday and my kid said something really funny. And and I was like, wow, that's like way more poignant than he probably even realizes it. And I was like, oh, that would make a great LinkedIn post. <laughs> like, you know, as I always like to say, social media happens, you know, so. Video or photo or words? Like, what's my preference or what do I use? What works? I mean, it all works, but, you know, for sure, all of the platforms are prioritizing video right now. Maybe not LinkedIn so much. Uh, I don't think people watch LinkedIn with sound on. They're probably in a browser most of the day. Uh, but for sure, if you're putting like consumer facing content, TikTok and Instagram, Facebook, it's video. You got to be in video. So what drew you to marketing? Uh, There's a funny story. So I always liked marketing. I used to be in the music business and I ran a marketing agency in the music business. It was always wanted to help other people to, you know, attract more customers essentially. But when I left the music business, I ended up doing sales for a tech company. It was like my first, first or second job out of, yeah. So I was doing sales and I worked for this company that's still around. I was there for 18 months, right? So six quarters. Two of those quarters, I was the number one salesperson in my division to like so good that the CEO of the company called me and was like, what did you do? And can you teach it to others? I said, yeah. And basically I created like a demand gen system. Like I had a very, very organized system to doing cold outreach and then following people through a, a cadence and blah, 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 blah. The other four quarters that I was in there, I was in the bottom 10%. And I got phone calls from my boss going, what happened? <laughs> And what I realized is I'm actually not a good salesperson, but I'm a good person to help salespeople go faster. I was like, oh, that's called a marketer. Uh, and that was the day at which I dropped my bag, my sales bag and was like, I'm going to go be, uh, I'm going to go get into marketing. Like that's going to be, that's my calling is to help people like gain awareness, you know, top of funnel. So that was it. That was, that was the moment trying to sell tech. Do you love it or are you good at it or both? Marketing? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's probably a little egotistical based to say I'm good at it, but I really do think I am. And I really do love it. It doesn't happen all that often for people that you're good at the thing that you love. That's you know? fair. That's fair. That's why I asked that question, right? Is it, it, does it just happen to be the thing that you're good at and therefore it was smart to move over there? Or is it the thing that you really find your passion in? Outside of That's a good question. It's probably both for me. And you know, the thing that I'm, I think I'm actually even better at than marketing is teaching. And it's teaching specifically marketing. Like, I don't know how to show you how to do a thing in woodshop. Like, that's not my skill set. <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't be able to walk you around a laboratory and tell you how to create a, you know, web venom for Spider-Man. Uh, Although that would be a good skill set. Spider-Man fidget spinner. Uh, but I can teach people how to market very well. So that that's probably even a higher calling. I don't, do you, Are you a Myers-Briggs person? No. I mean, I'm sure I have a personality type. I don't know what it is. All right. Well, so I used to work for a company called Yex, the really great software company. They're a partner and, of ours. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. I, we use Marquee, who's a partner of theirs. Um, it's custom designed for restaurants. But anyway, uh, one of the things that they make you do at Yex when you get hired is you have to take the Myers-Briggs. Okay. So everybody at Yex knows their score. And then the, on your second day of work, you get called into the HR office and like, okay, here's your packet, here's your sign, here's your, you know, sign this for your first paycheck, whatever. And by the way, your Myers-Briggs score is whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you get to walk over to a closet where there's like two rows of stickers. And you can choose either your Star Wars or Harry Potter equivalent 
to your Myers-Briggs score. And then you get a little sticker and you put it on the back of your laptop. And then every time you'd walk into a meeting and everybody have their laptops open, you could see who was in the room with you. Now, my Star Wars was Padme. And she's cool, but she's not that cool, right? <laughs> my Harry Potter was Dumbledore. And I was like, yo, that is me. I am the headmaster. I'm the teacher. And so I'd walk into every room and I'd pop up that Dumbledore and there'd be no other Dumbledores in the room. Like, okay, I know my role. And there'd be a Han Solo and I knew what their role was. And there'd be a Harry and I knew it. So it was really cool. But anyway. What a great uh, idea. Yeah, and that's, so, I mean, it, it, it teaches you or it shows you live time, real time, how to communicate with the other people that you're talking to. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's a little bit of inception too. like if you're told, hey, you're Darth Vader, you're probably going to become a little bit Darth Vader. You know what I mean? Probably. Yeah. Or if you're Ron Weasley, you're going to Ron Weasley a little bit. So like I certainly leaned into the Dumbledore role. But, uh, you know, it was it was satisfying for me to take that test and have the test be like, yeah, you're the teacher. Yeah. Okay, great. Who are your favorite kind of students? Uh, people who are willing to try things no matter what. But I'm okay with skepticism too. So like Harry, Harry would Ron or Ron or Harry would probably be good for me because they're both like they are desperate to learn, but they have their own creative ideas. You know what I mean? Not to put down Hermione, but well, Hermione's already done all the studying. Yeah, she's very she's probably a little past me. <laughs> She'd be a better partner for me than a student. Yeah, but Harry and Ron both only learn from we're we're totally geeking out on Harry Potter. They only learn well from teachers that they respect and like yep so that's probably that's a great question <laughs> so yeah, probably probably ron's and harry's less hermione's all right all right let's go back to marketing there's all these social media channels out there which ones to prioritize you mentioned instagram i'm fascinated with tiktok what should people focus on? Which I, I know they should, you know, everybody should be on more than one, but it's hard to put a lot of content out that's different for each one. Where does well, the gonna, main focus live and how does TikTok gonna, fit into it all? I was going to jokingly say Friendster, but I'm curious, what is it, what is it that you like about TikTok? Well, I just think it's interesting. I don't know. I, I, I my feed, their algorithm is so good, right? My feed is, is totally not business focused at all. Um, so I don't, other than the sponsored stuff, which I immediately skip through, how does one make use of a platform like that to market to people effectively? I wish I had a silver bullet answer. And I do believe that anybody that sells you a TikTok silver bullet answer is selling a little bit of snake oil. Okay. Now I say this knowing that I published a book called TikTok for restaurants that you can go buy. Nice. Okay. But I do believe that there are some foundational things that you have to do no matter what, if you're going to use it for business. And that's what the book is. The book is not, if you do ABC, you'll have billions of followers. Like I'm not trying to sell you that snake oil. I'm just trying to be like, listen, here's what you need to do. Do, do these things, be consistent. It will work. Um, but I think more, more or less, really any channel, whatever one you want to lean into, consistency really is the key. Like show up show up every day or every other day, like just be consistent. I mean, you know, when you think about a restaurant, okay, let's say you call me like, yo, Rev, you got to go check out this taco spot. They have this thing at that thing, you know, they have gluten-free, they have keto, they have extra carbs that like, just go, they have all the meats. It's great. And I trust you. Okay. I'm still going to go on to Google and look up like where they are and read the reviews. And I'm probably going to go to on Instagram because I want to see what the food looks like. 
if I get to Instagram, regardless of how much I trust you or not, and they haven't updated it in like six months or they're like spotty updates, like I'm not going to place a whole lot of trust in that place. Mm. Like I'm like, it, like it's clear that you get Instagram's important, but if you aren't putting things up here consistently, like what am, what am I to think about the way you run your business? What am I to think about your service model or how, like, I just don't have a lot of trust there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I think that the key is to just pick the channel and be consistent. I hate to sound like a broken record, but you know, that's kind of what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, for tick to answer the TikTok question, I don't know. <laughs> I I don't have the silver bullet answer, but I would say show up. You know, I hear it was funny. I posted something on TikTok this morning. Okay. It's a four-second shot. There's no edits. It's four seconds of somebody like uh separating a steak. Okay. You know, it's like it was cut and we're just trying to show like where it's medium rare. That's it. It's like four seconds. I put a little bit of music behind it from a song I happen to like that has nothing to do with steak. I put must eat steak of the week on top, the name of the restaurant, our hashtag, and the name of the steak. And then one sentence like, hey, if you live in New Jersey, where do you like to eat steak? I mean, I no joke, Shandy. It took me six minutes. Six minutes. Last I looked, a couple hours later, it's at like 1,200 views. Wow. Took me no effort. No effort. And the same thing, I run a steak account on Instagram. We'll go and create these like 45 second, one minute, like, oh, we'll go to this restaurant. And when you go there, ask for this server and order this thing and like jump cut, jump cut, jump cut, and this thing and that thing. And like, I love it because it's entertaining and it's a 45 second preview of what to expect out of this restaurant. And then I'll do one the next day where it's four seconds of steak and the four seconds of steak will get 60,000 views. And the one that I put three hours of work in will get like 200. So that's not you know, because people's preference that's because the algorithms are i don't i don't know what the preference is but i know that people are probably willing to watch four seconds of a video without feeling like they had to commit to something oh sure but if they start watching it don't you get the view credit they don't have to uh, watch it all the way through you, i think you have to get like a certain percentage of it oh interesting yeah all there's like all this magic kind of behind the scenes on all of these social media platforms where it's oh my gosh so much detail and and uh, nuance to the algorithms. Yeah, and look. So step one: be consistent. Okay. Build build the muscle memory to post often, whatever the channel is. Okay. And second, and I think this is really important: is know your reason for being on that channel, and make sure that your content matches why people are on that channel. Right. People are on LinkedIn to talk about business. Yeah. Right. Or to talk about personal accomplishment. So if you're not in there talking about something that's like personal accomplishment, I'm hiring or businessy, like you're in the wrong place. And if you're on Instagram trying to sell technology to restaurant operators, that's not why they're there. Mm -hmm. So maybe not the right spot to do it. You know what I mean? But I do think like if, you know, if you're going to prioritize Instagram, put the content there that people want to get from being on Instagram. Pretty pictures. And then, you know, you let, let, let that guide your, your content creation plan. It's like, what is it that people want to do when they're on here? And if it's disruptive in a bad way, it's probably the wrong choice. Yeah. Generally positive content, generally negative content. What are your thoughts? I guess it depends on what you're doing. You know, if you are uh, 
Ronald McDonald House. I have no idea why I just picked that. They're out there trying to help children who have cancer and other diseases, but whose family can't afford the to stay near the kid who's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good cause. Um, I don't work there, and nor do I advise them. But I might tell them that once in a while they need to be negative, like they need to like kind of scare you into like how bad life could be for somebody to make you go to do what I do, which is donate monthly. So like you know, there's a- commercials. Good lord. The ones oh, that yeah, yeah. Die every time, right? With uh, what's her name? That song. Yeah. I remember you. <laughs> that song. But yeah, I get you know. It try, I guess it matters on like what's the thing you're trying to talk about. Why are you trying to talk about it? You know, I have I posted yesterday. I'm right. I put on a bunch of weight this year, and I'm going to take it off. And I'm asking people if they want to join my weight loss group. Me too. So the video is like, I used to be really fat, and then I got I lost a bunch of weight, and I got fat again, and I'm not okay with it anymore. Like you can say that's negative, but I'm just trying to deliver a message. So. Yeah, I don't think that that's negative. I think that's kind of a starting place, you know? Where was an example where you think negative content would be good? I don't know. That's, so like for us, I find, you know, people generally need us when something bad happens, right? We're trying to prevent something bad from happening, right? And create good experiences for people. But I always find when we're doing marketing stuff for the, I'm just curious I feel like we shouldn't be like something bad might happen. I don't know. I don't know where the gut feeling comes from, but. And I don't have any good examples from other companies. It just kind of popped through my head as we're talking about uh, marketing on different channels. That's all. Yeah. You know, I would say if you know why you're on the channel and who you're trying to talk to, then make a decision on what type of content best gets that person where you need them to be, to do the thing you want them to do. Positive, negative, irrelevant. Yeah. That works. All right, I so generally would probably lean towards upliftment before I yeah. would be take, taking that generally. Right. That's how, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, but I have absolutely no marketing talent whatsoever. So I didn't know if I was right. <laughs> I would I disagree. Had. You have lots of marketing talents. So. <laughs> so since you sang, talk to me about when you were in the music business, because you saw some pretty cool stuff, worked with some pretty cool people. Favorite story? In the music business? Uh-huh. Oh my God, it's impossible to pull out one story. And I've always joked yeah, that tell I, me more than one. I was going to write a story about my life, uh, like an autobiography of my life in the music business called I Entertain Myself the Most. Uh, <laughs> you know, here's what to do and not to do in the music business. Like that was the title. Like, because so many crazy, funny moments happened when I was in the music business that you like, you'd never imagine. Just insanity things like, uh, okay, I'm on tour with one of my bands. We're playing a bunch of festivals in England, right? And they're like this underground, like emo rock band that's starting to blow up. And so like, we're getting our first time doing festivals in in Europe and we're going on like middle of the afternoon and they're kind of like the sensation band. And like, so we have to get up early, drive across, you know, the country. We're doing tons of, we're we're exhausted, right? By the time they get off stage, everybody's just like energy's gone. So I get the band off stage, right? We played the Leeds festival, writing in Leeds, they did Leeds. Uh, I get them off stage. I get them in the dressing room. They're gonna all gonna deprogram for like two hours. Like they're just gonna hang out, chill, nap, whatever. So I I don't have anything to do. So I was like, I'm gonna go to the other VIP area and sit down by myself and eat. Like I'm just gonna take 30 minutes by myself at a table to eat at a catering table and like, not. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not trying to look at my phone. Like I just need 30 minutes to like chill. And I'm, I pick the only table with nobody at it. And I sit down with my catering meal and somebody comes over and goes, hey, dude, anybody else sitting here? And I'm like, obviously not. 
He's like, can I join you? And I said, sure. And I looked over and it was Dave Grohl. <laughs> and he, up, and he and I, he and I ended up talking for like two hours about, wow. he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. Like just saw me sitting by myself, decided like, Hey, I'm going to see who this guy is. We ended up talking. And years later, one of my bands ended up recording in his studio. Oh my gosh. Did so he remember you? Huh? Did he remember you? Yeah. That's so cool. It was crazy. So I have definitely crazier stories than that, but that was like a really good one that I was like, oh, and so when you hear people say like, you know, Dave Grohl's like a really nice dude, he 100% is like, that is 100% Dave Grohl. You took the question right out of my mouth. I was going to say, you know, I assume because you talked to him for two hours that he wasn't a terrible human being. He must have been nice, right? Is it since like sincerely nice? Like That's it's cool. not an act. He is just a nice person. That's really, really cool. The craziest thing that you saw? Um, or marked explicit, it's okay. I don't know, like crazy, because some stories I can't share, but all right, here's a fun, here's a fun story. Here's a fun Craziest story. thing, not under NDA. <laughs> here's, here's a fun story. So I'm managing this heavy metal band called Shadows Fall. Uh, and they were like kind of the leaders of this movement called the New Wave of uh, uh, New Eng- uh, the New Wave of New England Heavy Metal, right? Okay. And it was kind of like the post New Metal era, so it was like you know Corn and Limp Bizkit and all that can had kind of like run its course, right? Like people were getting tired of that, and all of a sudden like real metal came back, and there was a few bands like Lamb of God. I don't know if you know these or if you listeners do, but Kill Switch Engage, Lamb of God, God forbid, Shadows Fall. Like there was this movement of bands that like exploded. Ended up getting on Ozfest, doing big tours, selling lots of records. Well, the band I was working with was one of the bands that like started that whole thing, uh, and they blew up. They blew up kind of quickly, and one of our records took off in Japan. Like it really, like we were getting phone calls from our Japan label, like when can you guys come to Japan? Like this is like a bunch of dudes' dreams. Like let's go to Japan and play a giant festival. So we get booked on a festival with like the biggest names in the business: Slayer, Pantera, Biohazard. Wow. Um, you know, Static X, like all these big, big, big bands that were really big at the time. And we, they asked us to come over and they said, okay, come over. We'll pay for your flights. We'll pay for your hotel. We'll pay for your internal transport. We'll pay for your gear. All you have to bring is the six of you. Uh, we'll even get you paid. We're like, wait a minute. We're going to Japan, like first class. Like it was amazing, right? I get on the plane. It's a long, it's a 12 hour flight from New York. I open up the dirt by Motley Crue, which I had been dying to read, Right. So it's an autobiography of, biography of Motley Crue, if you guys haven't heard that. Anyway, so I get on the plane, and I start reading the book, and I fall asleep, I wake up, I read some more, whatever. We land in Japan, I close the book, okay? I put the book in my bag, we go to Japan, we have the wildest, craziest, rowdiest tour we've ever had, and all the things that you hear about rock and roll bands on tour, and Absolutely all the things you hear about Japan are 100% true. <laughs> A hundred percent. And, and like, we even, we are, we were not that crazy of people, but like we saw it happening and insane, like insane stories happened in that trip. Uh, one in particular, I'll never forget. It was the second night of the tour, right? So there's two, two headlining shows at Yokohama arena, Dimebag Daryl from Pantera and, um, and Tom Mariah from Slayer, like the two headlining bands, like biggest names in metal came into our dressing room, right? It was our band and two other bands, two other smaller bands, Came and they said, who's Rev? And I was like, that's me. And he's like, hey, I'm Tom. I was like, I, I know who you are. <laughs> and, you know, and Dimebag's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Dimebag. I was like, dude, I have every Pantera record. Like, cool. nice to meet you. They're like, um, we heard that you know where the party spot is. And I was like, Pantera, who headlines are meeting around the world, is asking me where the party spot is? I was like, okay. 
So I organized this like after party and it went around to all the bands like, oh, just meet Rev at this hotel. He's going to take us to this bar. He knows this promoter. And I'm literally like the Pied Piper of all these giant names in heavy metal through downtown Tokyo to go to this club where it's down, a, you know, down an alley, down an elevator, down a room. We open up and it's change bag, yeah. It's like it's the, I was like, how did this happen? We walk in, the promoter's there. He's like, oh my God, I'm so glad you guys are here. I saved this VIP section and here's a bottle of this and here's a bottle of that. And there's like supermodels and like, it, like I'm like, this can't be real. At one point, Dimebag looks at me and goes, we need another bottle of Jack, right? And I look around and it's elbows to elbows in the club. Like you can't get through it. And I'm just trying to get another bottle of Jack for these mega huge metal stars. Yeah, when and they ask you get... And he throws his credit card to me and I grab it in the air and I'm trying to yell to the bartender, another bottle of Jack, because I can't get over there. And the bartender looks at me and I go to throw the credit card at the bartender. And apparently I thought I was like throwing a ninja star because it and hit the dude square in the face like Dimebag Daryl's Amex Black. And the, <laughs> the, the security got so angry, <laughs> grabbed the card, grabbed me, grabbed Dimebag, grabbed him, and threw us out of the club. Oh, no. So I caused Tom Ryan to get thrown out of this club. Whatever. I'll get the story's kind of long here. But anyway, it, it, lots of this craziness happens over two or three days, right? The very last day of the tour, we wake up, everybody's exhausted because we've been partying, we've been playing, they've been signing autographs, radio. Like it, it is it's pure mayhem, right? We're almost almost all of us are on the exact same flight. So you get on the flight and there's like biohazard and soiling green and like all like all these, and you can just see how tired everybody really yeah. was. I sit down in I sit down in my seat, you know, they're like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we're planes taking off, whatever. I reach in my backpack, I pull out the dirt by Motley Crew. The very next chapter was the very first time Motley Crew went to Japan. Oh no. And it literally <laughs> reads word for word like the exact experience we just had down to the same club with the same promoter that we ended up with. Like literally, like, and some of the people that we met at that club. We're in the book. And I was like, we lived the dirt. <laughs> that is amazing. And I mean, who can tell a story that way? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. So now that we have traveled all over the life of Rev in this in this conversation, remind everybody how they can connect with you online and the upcoming summit and all that stuff. Sure. So my email address is iloveslayer at yammanagement.com. That's not true. Uh, but if you did actually, if you email me that, I will get it. But <laughs> the best way to find me is pick your favorite social media platform. And my screen name is Rev Ciancio, except on TikTok. I'm uh, the Munch Mafia. So although I do own Rev Ciancio on that platform. So but yeah, pick, pick your favorite platform. If you're on Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever I'm at Rev Ciancio, that's probably the easiest way to get me. And then also, you know, go to restaurantsgrow.com slash summit and sign up for the Restaurant Marketing Summit. I'll I'll see your email come in. So perfect. So then that's usually uh, the best. That's I, usually the best way. I cannot wait to hear what your two truths and a lie are. <laughs> are I we don't doing know that if now? we have covered what you were thinking or not, but tell us your three facts about yourself, one of which is not true in no particular order, and do not tell us the answer. Okay, you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay, I have sang on five commercially released albums. That's number one. Mm -hmm. right. Number two. Okay. Mercia the Elder. Do you know who Mercia the Elder is? Not yet. 
Okay, he once inhabited Bron Castle in Romania. Do you know what Romania uh, Bron Castle is? Okay, yeah. You would call that Dracula's castle. Mm-hmm. That's someone who I share a bloodline with. Okay. Right, ready for number th- ready for number three? Uh-huh. Katy Perry once sang happy birthday to me on my birthday in front of a sold-out arena. I like it. And I have absolutely no idea which one of those is not true. Rev, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited about the summit on the 25th and the 26th. I hope everybody who's listening goes ahead and registers for that. I cannot wait to find out which of your two truths and a lie is a lie. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Everybody who's listening, thanks for sticking around. And as always, this has been the Shandyland Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. 